All that a man might do, he had done with his 5,000 cavalrymen against the 30,000 knights, archers, and spearmen of the conspirators. Robert E. Howard Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you all for joining me, and for those of you that weren't aware or are new... Uh, during October, I like to take a little bit of a break and do some episodes on fantasy or horror, kind of like with a historical focus or like semi-historical settings or, you know, borrowed, borrowed from historical times. Um, and this gives me a little bit more time to do research for the actual historical episodes and still give you guys some content. Um, now, this year is going to be a little bit different. Um, I've been a bit ahead of my research, and I'll be putting out another historical episode uh, during this period. Uh, of course, this is being recorded after the final or the finale for Europe this season. Uh, so you'll get at least one America's episode this month and um, five bonus episodes. And I'd already meant to have this one out last week after. Uh, the Britain and Ireland episode. However, I had some issues um, just getting the time to record. Um, So this one will be out on Monday the 9th as normal. Uh, And then I will try to get two out uh, next week. And then that way we'll be be set essentially for uh, the month. We'll We'll be on track and on schedule. Um... So, I hope you all enjoy it, uh, but I understand this may not be for everyone, so listen to what interests you, and if you're maybe bored waiting for the history to come back, um, you know, maybe expand your horizons. Uh, Listen to one of these and see what you think. Um, But anyway, on with the episode. And as you might have guessed, uh, to start this season, we're going to, um, or to start this uh, these bonus episodes, we're going to talk about one of the more popular subjects I covered last year, and that is Robert E. Howard's Conan the Sumerian, or Conan the Barbarian. Um, Now, I recommend you do go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Uh, You'll get some background on Howard, because this episode is going to be more focused on the actual world and uh, the specific story that I quoted from uh, earlier. Uh, And that story is The Scarlet Citadel. Now, this was first published in January of 1933, uh, which makes it the second Conan story published in Weird Tales magazine. However, this was actually written um, after the next uh, published Conan story, which is The Tower of the Elephant, which was released in March of 1933. And um, it may have actually been... uh, Two or three uh, stories after uh, uh, the uh, Tower of the Elephant, uh, he he wrote quite a few kind of at once, and you know he'd send them to the editors, and they kind of make suggestions, and he would change stuff around. Uh, so some were written before others, so they're not published in a chronological order. Um, now the uh, Scarlet Citadel follows the original published story, which is The Phoenix on the Sword, and that was published in December of 1932. Uh, now, it's hard to place the chronological order of the events of Conan's life, like in-universe. Um, but this, uh, excuse me, sorry, my computer just gave me a notification. Um, uh, but uh, both of this first two stories follow an older 
middle-aged uh, barbarian, uh, and it is definitely uh, set after um, Phoenix on the Sword. Uh, the Scarlet Citadel, excuse me, is set after the Phoenix on the Sword. Um, this is very easy to tell because Conan um, also mentions a foe in that appeared in Phoenix on the Sword um, that he had defeated. Uh, so he, he, he harkens back to someone he had killed in the last um, story in this one. So he, he had mentions he had defeated that man. Um, also in that story, he had only recently become king of Aquilonia after killing the former king, uh, Numidides, uh, by strangling him on his throne. Uh, now, Numidides was a tyrant, and Conan had been one of uh, the many mercenaries and swords that he, you know, that he had been hired to, or that Numidides had hired to defend himself and his uh, his hold on power and the kingdom at large. And I won't spoil much of that story, as I might do an episode of it on one day, but there are several recurring themes in these early stories. And, you know, obviously they do show up throughout uh, Conan's adventures. And uh, first, though, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Conan, his people, and the kingdom that he is ruling in this story. Now, as I mentioned before, he is a Sumerian, who were an actual historical people. Uh, Howard imagines them as a hill people that raid the great and decadent kingdoms of Hyboria while also selling uh, their skills to said kingdoms, uh, those kingdoms' nobles, wizards, and of course, always fighting one another. Now, in actual history, the Sumerians do eventually enter the historical record uh, by traveling uh, through mountains like the Caucasus uh, and uh, the Balkans, uh, but they probably actually emerged along the Pontic-Caspian steppe. And they settled in a number of places filled with hills, uh, where they were recorded by the literate societies. So it is this description that Howard's used as the basis for Conan's origin. Um, of course, in Howard's mythos, the historical Sumerians are merely descendants of Conan's people who never left their life in the wilderness to move to the cities of the Iborian Age. That will eventually be you know, struck down in various calamities and famines and all that kind of stuff. Um, Howard was of the opinion that the Sumerians were probably the Proto-Indo-Europeans uh, that, you know, eventually move into Europe and those kind of places. However, as we'll get to when we actually study that uh, time period, uh, that is not uh, widely accepted at all. Now, at the time, it may have been kind of that pop science, um, but they are not in the listing currently by any uh, real scholar on the subject. Uh, there are many others um, who, um, excuse me, yeah, there are many other um, peoples uh, put forward by scholars who are the actual uh, Proto-Indo-Europeans, but we'll dive more into that again later. Uh, now, Conan's name, uh, by the way, is of course a historical name. Uh, it can be either a surname or a given name, uh, but both versions come from the Irish branch of Celtic, uh, the old Irish version being something close uh, to Conan, which is theorized to come from the Proto-Celtic word Ku, uh, which is thought to have been from the Proto-Indo-European Quo, meaning 
dog. All those words mean dog, essentially. Now, Aquilonia, the kingdom that Conan rules, is an amalgamation of several Western European uh, cultures that don't obviously really emerge until well after our Iron Age. Now, Howard is very big on the idea that men have kind of an ancestral memory, uh, and they're always trying to reclaim some aspect or aspects of their past. And they do this in cycles, in a similar way that civilizations rise and fall. Uh, They'll want the gleaming spires and prosperity that cities bring, but then they'll begin to wish for the savage freedom and rough honor of kind of the uncivilized barbarian. Uh, And these barbarian peoples will, of course, move into these civilized places. Uh, They'll mix, and that will kind of bring the civilization down, but also give it a new kind of vitality, and then eventually they'll, you know, again, form this cyclical cycle of civilized and uncivilized life. And new peoples will break off, some wanting the civilization, some wanting uh, the wilderness and the, uh, the more nomadic lifestyle. Excuse me. Now, the name Aquilonia has a double meaning. It can be connected to the Latin Aquila, which means eagle, or it can be linked to the Latin Aquilo, which means north wind. The term Hyboria, that is used to describe uh, Conan's time, is from the Greek for northern lands. Uh, And some of the earlier writings that Howard made about the era also use the term Hyperborea, which means beyond the north wind. Uh, This he later standardized to Hyboria, though Hyperborea itself remains a region in the world. And several historical cities uh, have been called Aquilonia. The most famous example, of course, can be found in southern Italy. Uh, Now, there are several maps presented by modern enthusiasts and uh, students of Howard's work that try to place everything together. And there isn't a lot of agreement, but most I have seen place Aquilonia somewhere between France, Spain, uh, and those regions, um, which uh, Aquitaine, of course, being uh, historically a separate kingdom from France. It's in southern Gaul. We'll talk about, again, the naming divisions of how France is named and kind of divided internally later. Uh, But uh, Aquitaine can be, like, basically the southern half of France. Um, But in the Hyborian Age, the Mediterranean and the Adriatic Seas don't exist. Um, Or at least if they do exist, they're probably just very large lakes. Um, Instead, the basin where the Mediterranean is now is filled with a lot of fertile river valleys. So obviously you imagine at the end of the Hyborian Age, um, you know, the sea floods into the Mediterranean. Of course, this wipes out a lot of the big, important city-states in that region, uh, and it changes the the you know the landscape uh, drastically into what we would imagine uh, our modern world. So there is basically you know a lot more land uh, between Spain and France, and of course Italy. That's all land essentially. 
at least that's the that's the most common version of the map you'll see. Essentially, uh, Europe and Africa are, uh, you know, connected uh, by and large. There are, of course, some mountains and things kind of separating other parts, but uh, it, it's very uh, different from our world. Now, uh, several other realms are mentioned in this story. Uh, some of which are mentioned in later stories, and some are places that we will see Conan adventure in. However, two of the other realms mentioned play a central part in this tale. The first is the Kingdom of Ophir, is to Aquilonia's north and uh, east. Uh, these people are maybe ancestors to the Etruscans, or possibly the Samnites of our modern world. Uh, then you have the Kingdom of or Empire of Koth. And this appears to be ancestor groups of Greeks and other like Anatolian peoples. Um, and possibly also the ancient Balkans and also maybe even Sicilians. Um, or at least that is what Howard would have understood these people to be. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about it, <laughs> but um, his ideas of where people are coming from are skewed because again he's just following the popular science of the time he's not obviously he doesn't have the benefit that we know of how humans migrated and that type of thing um now of course he obviously embellished all of these semi-historical ideas you know to create a vivid and exciting world of sword and sorcery uh now ophir is led by a man known as Amaris. Koth is led nominally by Strabonus, who wears the crown and is assisted in this task by notorious wizard Sathalante. Now this story is a pretty wild mix of genres. It starts with Conan fighting against brutal odds, against betrayal with um, you know his his men at his side, his his soldiers. Uh, then it becomes a survival tale with Conan alone and facing not only some of his past deeds uh, from his adventuring days, uh, but also an extremely hostile environment. Um, and then it becomes, in some places, while dealing with this uh, hostile environment, a horror story. Uh, Conan has to deal with uh, monstrous animals, in some cases uh, demonic forces or strange um, Lovecraft-esque uh, villains, or not villains, but um, creatures. Uh, he deals with a tree whose roots go all the way to hell. Uh, and uh, Conan, um, of course, uh, uh, deals with all of these things in a fairly similar manner. Uh, and, of course, I mentioned last uh, season, uh, but uh, Howard was a very big fan of Lovecraft's work. They did communicate several times via letters. Um, so, and, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of um, the old one ancient horror stories uh, that at least lend names uh, of places to Conan's world, though um, Howard does not lean quite as hard on the cosmic horror uh, to the point that it's driving uh, Conan insane like the way that most of uh, Lovecraft's protagonists are. Uh, now, I don't want to give too much away about the story, but I highly recommend you read this one. It's very good. Um, 
Conan is still kind of developing as a character in some ways. Um, he's not quite as fun in this one as he is in some of the later stories where he's a, a freewheeling adventurer. And that, um, obviously, this being an earlier story, yeah, Howard's still kind of getting the feel for him. But, you know, it kind of makes sense. Conan uh, is more mature in these stories. Uh, that's not to say, of course, that he is not a fun character. But um, he definitely has his wit, uh, uh, and it is, uh, it's very laconic. Um, it's not, uh, he is not necessarily uh, a deep thinker, at least not when talking to most people. He doesn't come across that way. He's very straightforward. He says what he thinks, and uh, sometimes he doesn't necessarily... Um, put a lot of thought in his responses he just he just says what he feels um but that's not to say conan is dumb even younger conan he's not uh he might be naive or unknowledgeable about places uh but he he hears things he he knows stories rumors he keeps his ears out he does learn from his kind of environment and that that serves him well as king um now, uh, when we talk about uh, Conan as a king um, and as a character, he is very much of the mind that um, when he sees power, he didn't do it to protect the kingdom or these people. These are not his people. He didn't really have all these noble ideas. He sees the crown because Numidides was... Uh, a very bad king and a very bad boss from the sound of things. And, you know, if Conan didn't do it, probably someone else was. Uh, Conan sees the crown because he could. And he's very, you know, he recognizes this fact. He does not have any illusions about his uh, magnanimity uh, or his, uh, his goodness, as it were. Um, but that being said, you know, uh, Conan does feel like, um, or at least Howard, you know, does point out in kind of the narration of the story, uh, that, you know, Conan wearing the crown does, you know, Conan wants to be a good king, at least in terms of this world. Um, you know, it's a very brutal kingship uh, that you need to be you, to be a good king in this world. You have to be willing to fight. You have to be willing to kill. Uh, you need to be able to wage war and defend yourself in all in equal measure. Uh, and and Conan again, he wants to be a good ruler. He doesn't want to just plunder the country. You know, uh, just be a tyrant. He he does kind of want to prove himself i think he has a very real desire to show these um these quote-unquote more civilized men you know just what it means to be an actual you know ruler a, a king um and uh, at least if you're to believe conan's boasting um he has put an end to a lot of the civil struggles or at least the open civil struggles in aquilonia um his uh, policies are very well liked by the people. He even says straight up that he that no people in the world are as taxed as lowly as his. Um, so you know he has a good kind of grasp of the situation. Um, 
but that being said, Conan is not one to sit on his laurels. He he is planning military operations uh, in his mind. He does have plans to uh, expand Aquilonia's frontiers, defeat its enemies. Uh, that's part of the reason that he uh, is in battle at the start of this story. Um, he uh, he is trying to um, prevent Koth from seizing um, Ophir because uh, that would give Koth a much larger border uh, with Aquilonia. Uh, so he kind of takes a proactive role, and you know he's he's there by request of Amalris, the king of Ophir. Um, so he is, uh, you know, he is tactical. He is diplomatic, at least when it comes to fighting. He has a very real sense of uh, what needs to be done. He's no, he's no one's fool, essentially, uh, despite his rough upbringing and his lack of any kind of formal education. Uh, but Conan's teacher is very much uh, the streets and the wilderness, as it were. Um, also, while dealing with all the kind of worldly politics of being a king, uh, you also kind of get a feel for how Conan deals with the more supernatural elements of this world. Uh, he does not trust wizards uh, one bit. Um, he understands that you know they serve their purpose, uh, but he you know, he is very mistrustful of all things magical uh, and to a certain extent most things religious though he's not an atheist by any means he is at least agnostic of the gods uh designs and roles he certainly believes they exist but um he takes a very dim view of how at least uh the civilized world uh kind of uh makes use of the religious orders and things like that uh which is a little weird because in the first story uh it's kind of a big deal uh the phoenix on the sword um Conan gets help from a sage from uh, or a, a long dead sage uh, basically comes to Conan in a dream and gives him uh, an enchantment on his sword to defeat a dark uh, creature entity that's stalking his castle um, and gives him warning of a plot against his life. Um, spoilers again for uh, for the Phoenix on the sword. Um. But, you know, he, he does understand, uh, at least for the, the good gods, quote-unquote, uh, that they have a purpose, though he himself does not uh, put much stock in anyone else's role. He's very much a, I am me, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'll get through whatever I have to deal with um, by my own uh, skills and, uh, you know, power and all that kind of things. Um... And another very interesting fact about Conan as a character, um, I can't uh, I can't help but think, and uh, I think if you read this, you might agree that Conan is very much an Achilles esque figure, uh, Achilles from the Iliad. Um, Achilles, of course, is well known for his righteous fury, his anger, his rage. Uh, that is, of course, what the Iliad is about. Uh, Homer talks about. The rage of Achilles, and you know, very early on in the Iliad, and all of the kind of the dangers and horrors that that brings. Uh, Conan is very much a rage-filled man, as well, uh, though his rage is a little bit different from Achilles. It's not quite an all-consuming rage that makes him uh, kind of go um, 
just kind of disregard everything. Conan's rage is very much a um, instinctual thing. It, it, it sharpens his mind. It focuses his uh, fighting abilities, which are already uh, prolific. Uh, and he uh, is very much um, helped by his rage. Uh, now, uh, of course, when he is raging, uh, he does not quite take as much care of himself as you might expect. Um, and it does cause him problems, uh, injuries, and things like that. His anger can get him into trouble, but more times than not, uh, Conan's rage is very much uh, his uh, getting out of trouble mode. Um, uh, sorry, I was going through my notes again. Yeah, so um, also uh, in this you get a very good sense of Conan's political philosophy, at least when it comes to monarchies and governments. Um, Conan is very much in the camp, you know, uh, it's better to win a kingdom than inherit it. Uh, he takes a very dim view of the other kings mentioned in this um, st uh, story, Amalrus and um, the King of Ophir. I'm oh, sorry, Amalrus is the King of Ophir. Uh, the King of Koth, um, Strabonus. Uh, he, he is not very um, respectful of them, at least in terms of... Uh, their kingship um you know he says that you know he fought and bled for his crown whereas they uh the only thing they had to do uh to win their crowns was poison a few brothers essentially um <laughs> uh, while their fathers of course won the crowns they just the only exercise they got from it was poisoning again their brothers um, now, this is a little bit longer of the Conan stories. Uh, it's around 15,000 words. Uh, I think most of them clock in around eight to 11,000, give or take. Um, so this one actually has a little bit more um, depth to it. But that being said, of course, because of the length, and this is appearing in like a serial magazine, um, there are some plot elements that if these were full novels... I'm sure that he would have paced them out a little better. There's a lot of Conan gets to place, event happens, exposition happens, and then the next event takes place. And it, it kind of happens a lot um, in a lot of the Conan stories. Uh, there's a lot of uh, repeats. Uh, there's some stuff that is, you know, in my opinion, fairly obvious. But then Howard explains because, of course, you know, younger kids are reading these stories, too, despite you know, the violence and all that kind of stuff. Um, there, there's definitely a lot of uh, telling rather than showing, though, again, it's interesting stuff. And again, there's a nice mix of genre here. There's uh, swashbuckling elements. There are... Um, of course, uh, large-scale battles that are being described. And actually, Howard does a really great job of, like, painting the picture of a battlefield and what is happening. Uh, and he's very drawn, you can tell, to... Um, or draws a lot of inspiration from, like, uh, battle narratives, historically, of how things happened. Um, but yeah, so I, I highly recommend uh, the Scarlet Citadel uh, as a story, um, even if you're not in necessarily to the sword and sorcery genre. Uh, it, it's a good one because it um, uh, you get a lot of flavor with this. There's a lot of different elements here. Like if 
if you're okay with you know big battle scenes you know you've got great things to choose from here if you're good for kind of this claustrophobic exploration uh and horror elements that's a good portion of this story like right in the middle um and conan himself you know he is um you know he is never deterred by what he deals with uh he, he there's never a sense that you know he thinks he's going to fail um conan doesn't feel fear like a normal human uh i'm sure he does feel it uh, sometimes this is a instinctual fear just on his situation but by and large conan's like you know what i'm just going to deal with this as best i can and i'm going to come out on top uh and that you know that is something that a lot of characters you know don't necessarily do in a lot of stories these days you know at least in my opinion and you know sometimes that's a good thing uh conan can be a little uh, a little too um i guess uh powerful in certain situations um but you know he does get into trouble he does make mistakes it's just um none of this ever deters him he he knows he's going to come out on top um there's not much of a romance uh, element in this story. A lot of the early Conan stories, there is no female um, Lady of the Week or the Month or whatever. That's something that shows up in some of the um, middle kind of Conan stories. Uh, a lot of the early ones are just about the adventure and the fighting and that kind of stuff, which, um, you know, they all kind of had their elements. Um, though Conan does, uh, he does kind of wax poetic at times about, uh, the ladies in his harem. Um, uh, not to any specific one, of course, but, you know, he does, uh, hate the idea of someone, uh, taking his crown and, you know, taking his women hostage or taking them from him, um, uh, because, you know, they like him and he likes them, at least, uh, as far as he can tell, um. So he, he very much does want to protect uh, those close to him. Uh, and his and I mean that in a way of subjects. He doesn't really have any friends as king. Um, he has people he trusts. He has advisors that he you know at least understands will be loyal while he is alive. Um, you know that they do accept him as king because he is the best man for the job. Um. But yeah, um, I should say that there are some elements that are a little outdated. Um, he, again, Howard isn't nearly as bad as Lovecraft in terms of like racial stuff. Um, Howard is very much, you know, a man of his time, but he is not explicitly like, um, you know, all brown people are beneath you know, the white Conan. Uh, Conan has, uh, of course, adventures with uh, other people from uh, Af what is now Africa and India, um, or at least the ancestors of those people. Uh, he does fight plenty of those people on occasion, but um, it's not exclusive. Conan is Conan, and he fights anyone and everyone who gets in his way. But he also, of course, you know, has allies on occasion. Uh, f you know, uh, from these places where uh, you know, Howard understood them to be the ancestors of um, people from places that were colonized by Europeans. Um, that is not to say that there is not some uh, you know, stereotypical treatment of those people or people like those people from modern day 
uh, parts of the world. Um, and that is an unfortunate element, but it is not necessarily egregious. I think that's more like, again, it's kind of the, the crap popular science that uh, some people were really into in the 20s and 30s. Um, but that's not so much in this story too much. Uh, that is not something that you have to deal with in the Scarlet Citadel. There is someone who is uh, from Conan's past as a pirate captain. Uh, Conan had fought the man and his brother, and the man is very much um, kind of consumed by his need for revenge from Conan. But he does not... Um, uh, he is... Uh, he has Conan very much at a disadvantage. Uh, very much in the story. Uh, Conan... And this leads into another thing. Conan's also very lucky, uh, despite his skills and his intel, you know, his wit, uh, his cleverness, uh, his, or you know, his kind of his trickster nature in some situations. Conan is also extremely lucky. It's several parts in several of these stories, um, but you know, sometimes you got to be. <laughs> um, but you know, Conan would say, you know, you know, luck is. Yeah, luck is luck, but uh, uh, if he, you know, even if he was the luckiest man alive, if he still wasn't strong uh, and you know fast and uh, a good fighter, you know, all the luck in the world wouldn't save him for most of these situations. But he he definitely lucks out a couple of times. Um, there's no, there's not quite any direct uh, Deus Ex Machia, uh, Machina from some of these stories. Uh, now there are some characters who help him. Uh, make essentially they make him the Deus Ex Machina, uh, but uh, there's very few things where it's just like out of the blue. You know, Conan is saved for no reason whatsoever. Um, in fact, sometimes I feel like some of his challenges come out from the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, uh, I highly recommend uh, these Conan stories, Scarlet City, uh, Siddle especially. Um, but yeah, um, I hope you all have enjoyed. I, I know this is a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is a good place to stop it. And we will be back next week. I haven't determined which episode I'm going to do next first. I've been working on kind of the the scripts, quote-unquote scripts. I, I kind of do this, obviously, by the fly. See my pants. But I do have notes. So I have been kind of collecting collating some notes for a couple of different stories. Uh, I don't know which one I'm going to do next. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, please, if you have any feedback or questions or constructive criticism, uh, do not hesitate to let me know. You can reach me uh, via direct message on Twitter or X. I'll include a link to my uh, page there. Uh, you can, of course, comment on any of my YouTube videos, or you can send me an email to waradrevpod at gmail.com. That's W-A-R, excuse me, W-A-R-A-D-R-E-V-P-O-D at gmail.com. And, yeah, I hope you all have had a good uh, weekend, and I hope you have a good rest of your week. Uh, obviously, uh, if you've been following the news, there's uh, a lot going on, especially in the Middle East with uh, Israel and Hamas and uh, Palestine and uh, several other countries in the region. 
Uh, hopefully, um, if, and there's already a, a fairly sizable death toll. Hopefully, it will not get much larger, uh, and that there can be some kind of uh, peaceful uh, settlement. But uh, that's not looking likely. Uh, obviously, very important historical sites in the region for a number of different peoples. Uh, so I hope, um, in addition to the limitation of uh, modern-day uh, infrastructure and, of course, civilian life, uh, I hope these historical sites can be spared as well. Uh, but uh, we will, of course, be having to keep an eye on all that. Uh, so if you are of the mind, I certainly hope the region and its peoples are in your thoughts and prayers. But, um, yeah, uh, hopefully that will not get too, too much worse. So, uh, again, thank you all. Uh, thank you for joining me. I hope you'll return, and I will see you all next time. Have a good day. Goodbye.